Are we all ready to enter in to the throne room? And I don't mean just reading our Bible. I mean if the Lord comes back today, we're entering in. Are you ready? Are you ready to go? I'm seeing a most heads shaking yes, I'm seeing a few shaking no. Don't make me nervous now. We all need to be prepared and ready and confident in that day. That's where the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to be confident for the day that he returns, that we're going to stand before him unashamed, that he's going to welcome us into the kingdom of God and say, thou good and faithful servant. Those are the words that I'm looking forward to, and I hope that you are too. And so with that said, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 11 this morning. Really, it's 2 to 11. We covered verse 1 last week, but I'm putting it all under 1 to 11 this morning. I titled this morning's message, The Throne Room of Heaven. And this is it. This is what it's all about, church. That day that we're going to go home to be with the Lord. The whole redemptive plan of God is going to come into full circle and we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. That's what chapter 4 is going to unfold to us this morning. Last Sunday, we looked at the resurrection of our bodies and the rapture of the church. Both of those events happening simultaneously together on that day that the Lord returns for His church. I shared a a very simple outline last week. It was out of chapter 1, verse 19. You can look at that. Very simple outline to the whole book of Revelation. Not all the books of the Bible give us an outline, right? But Revelation does. John was instructed, first off, to write the things, John, which you have seen. The second thing that he was told to write was the things which are. And he had that revelation of Jesus Christ, but he also wrote the seven letters to the seven churches that were literal churches in John's day, but also, as I shared when we went through them, a panoramic view of the churches throughout history. The third part of the outline is John was instructed to write the things which will take place after this. Meditata, a Greek word or Greek words that speak about the things that will follow. Actually, if you have an old King James version of the Bible, it reads, write the things which will be hereafter, or I would say even after the church age, which is chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. We are going to enter chapter 4 this morning, and we're no longer looking at the church age period. We're no longer, we're out of the chapter 2 and 3. And everything from chapter 4 to the end of the book of Revelation is yet future. It's things to come. And so this is prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. The Lord could come back at any moment. We need to be ready and we need to be prepared. Because when that day comes, what's going to follow after that, I believe, is that seven-year tribulation period that is going to come upon this whole earth. Both chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Revelation, we might say are the introduction and the background to the rest of the events to follow. These chapters are going to set the stage, we could say, for Jesus the righteous judge who is going to execute judgment, who has all power and authority to do so, and he's worthy to open the seals that we're going to read about next week in chapter 5. He is worthy to open the seals 
that are going to be unleashed upon this earth. This is the beginning, chapter 4, of the tribulation period. It's also known as the 70th week of Daniel. You can read about that in, in Daniel 9. It's, it's the time referred to in the book of Jeremiah as the time of Jacob's trouble. We read in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. In other words, God is going to save a remnant of his people Israel. Uh, Jacob, a name for Israel. God is going to save a remnant of his people from it. Listen to what Daniel wrote in Daniel 12.1. He says, at that time, Michael, speaking about Michael the archangel, shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, speaking about Israel. There shall be a, a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. God loves all mankind. God loves the nation of Israel. God has a plan still for the nation of Israel. When we get into further into the book of Revelation, we're going to see that the focal point of this book really centers around Israel, And even though the Gentiles are part of the tribulation period, Israel is the focal point. Last Sunday, we read verse 1. Let's read it again. After these things, and I believe it's speaking about in our outline, the church age. John says, I looked. And behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, which I believe is the rapture, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. It's those Greek words again, meditata, after this. I believe the rapture of the church. Come up here, John, and I will show you things which must take place after this. That's where we're at this morning in, in chapter 4, where John hears this voice as he's there on the island of Patmos. As he hears this sound and, and he hears like the command of a trumpet like the sound of a trumpet, a voice that is speaking, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. I shared last week that the rapture, or also known as, we might say, the catching away of the church. It's the Greek word harpazo, which means to be removed to be taken out even by violent force it's going to happen in the moment in the twinkling of an eye the dead in Christ are going to rise first and those of us that are alive and remain are going to be snatched up are going to be caught up are going to be taken out from this earth by the Lord to meet the Lord in the air you can read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We've looked at it a number of times in verse 16 and 17. But let me give you another verse that should bring comfort to your heart. Jesus said in, in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, verse 1, He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Those should bring comfort. That's a promise in God's word that we stand upon as believers. He went away. The disciples were concerned that night. I'm going to be leaving you. Where are you going to go? He says, I'm coming back and I'm going to receive you to myself. That same promise to them is the promise to you and I. Jesus also promised the faithful church in Philadelphia. In Revelation 3.10, he says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world and test those who dwell on the earth. That day has not come yet. That day is coming. But he's promising he will keep you and I from the hour of trial that is going to test the whole world. It's important to note that as we enter into chapter 4, that there is no mention of the church from chapter 4 to the end of the book of Revelation. There is no longer any mention of the church. And the reason why, I believe, is because we're in heaven by this time with the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 2, we have this heavenly vision that is broken down really into what we might call four scenes. The first part of this revelation that John sees is he sees a throne. And then he sees the one who is sitting on the throne. As the trumpet voice sounded and said come up here and I will show you things which must come after this John in a sense is in the spirit ushered into that presence of that heavenly throne room and that's the first thing that he sees the throne and the one who sits on it look at your Bibles at chapter 4 verse 2 immediately I was in the spirit And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an emerald. That's the first thing that John saw. As he was brought into this heavenly vision of heaven. John hears that voice and then we're told immediately I was in the spirit. What comes to my mind when I read this is what the Apostle Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2. Remember that time where Paul was caught up into the heaven? This is what he said of that time. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know. In other words, Paul didn't even know if this was literally he was in heaven or he didn't really know, but all he knew He says, because he says, God knows such a one was caught up. Now, that word caught up there in Corinthians is the same word in Thessalonians. It's the word harpazo. I was caught up, harpazo, to the third heaven. And then we're told that Paul heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for a man to utter. (laughs) Wow. What did that look like for Paul? To be caught up into the third heaven. Where is the third heaven? If you go out and you look into your sky and you just look up, you see the sky. You look in a telescope and you see the stars and the moon and the galley. You see what you can see through a telescope. That third heaven is beyond that. It's the place in which this throne is. It's the place in which we will dwell. It's the place in which God dwells himself. Paul was caught up 
into the third heaven. I think the best way for us to understand or explain John's words when he says, I was in the spirit, is to say that John found himself in the moment on that island in a state, we might call it like a trance, but this trance or this state that he was in was under the control of the Holy Spirit. Maybe what John experienced on that island was what Paul experienced when he was caught up into the third heaven. We read actually these same words in chapter 1 verse 10 where John says at the beginning of this letter, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And so being in the spirit in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God controlling this vision of what John was seeing. And I believe that John literally saw something with his eyes. It was a real experience that John had in that vision. We read in verse 2, and behold... Whenever you see those words, and behold, it's like sit up and take notice. John saw this throne. He saw the one sitting upon. The emphasis here is upon the throne and upon the one who is sitting upon it. One commentator wrote this about the throne. He says the bottom line of atheism or materialism is that there is no throne. There is no seat of authority or power that the entire universe must answer to. The bottom line of humanism is that there is a throne, but it's man who sits on it. You see, that's the problem. God is on his throne. In all power and authority, he sits on his throne. Man wants to be on the throne. Man wants to try and take the place of God on the throne. That's the problem that we have in our world today. God is on His throne and God has every power and authority and all right to execute the judgments that He's going to do and to bring upon this earth. The throne in our text is the centerpiece of John's vision here. He entered into the throne room of heaven and everything else that he describes in this chapter, it surrounds the throne. It surrounds the one who is seated on it. We actually find it. I looked this up. The word throne and thrones plural in the plural form is actually found 40 times in the book of Revelation. And 12 of those times are found in this chapter 4 that we're reading this morning. The word throne in the Greek word throus by definition means this, a seat of authority. Our God who sits on the seat of authority, the throne is the one who is going to execute the judgments that are going to follow. The first time that we saw the word throne was in Revelation 1.4. John writing to the seven churches in Asia says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before the throne. The last time that we see the word throne used in Revelation is in Revelation chapter 22 verse 3. The last chapter And it reads this, and there shall be no more curse. Amen? There's going to be no more curse, church. We're not going to contend with any more sin. No, the curse that was put upon you and I in this world is going to be removed. There's going to be no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And His servants shall serve Him. John then describes what he sees. He sees as jasper and sardis and emerald 
He sees these precious gemstones, the the coloring of them around the throne. In Revelation 21, we also see these stones that are listed in the foundation walls of the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21. Sardis, or also called carnelian, is a precious stone that is a fiery red color. It speaks, and it's believed that it speaks of God's justice, of God's authority, to be the one who would execute the fiery wrath that is going to come upon this earth. Some think that these stones are describing the throne itself that God was sitting on. In the book of Daniel, in chapter 7, verse 9, Daniel sees a vision, and this is what he saw. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days, a name for God, was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. That was Daniel's vision. But we also know that these stones were on the front of the high priest's garments. He would wear this ephod, this square ephod that had 12 stones that were laid into this ephod and hung around his neck in front of him. And those 12 stones that were in that ephod had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved upon them. They were set in in gold. You can read about the whole design of this ephod in Exodus chapter 28. But what's interesting about the ephod is that the list of stones, as it gives this description of an Exodus, the list, the first and the last stones were the ones that are being pictured here that John is seeing. The Jasper stone represented the tribe of Reuben. And Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. His name actually means, behold, a son. And then there's the Sardis stone that represented the tribe of Benjamin. Which, Jim, uh, excuse me, Benjamin was the lastborn of Jacob. And his name means son of the right hand. And so it's possible that these two stones that are listed here, that they're representing the 12 tribes of Israel as a whole. And that the covenants and the promises that God made to the nation of Israel, they will stand. The one sitting on the throne, the one who has this appearance of Jasper and Sardis, the whole 12 tribes of Israel being encompassed within that, the covenants and the promises that God has made, God will fulfill. It's why God will fulfill in saving a remnant of his people at the end of the tribulation period. But then we have a rainbow around the throne. It was emerald-like in its appearance. And it surrounded the throne. This is what John is seeing. This emerald colored glow, if you want to say, surrounding the throne. Takes us back maybe in our thinking to Genesis chapter 9. When God gave a sign of a covenant, a promise that he made, that he would never destroy this earth by flood water again. A reminder to God's people. This emerald color that surrounded the throne room. This green-hued rainbow that encircled the throne. Probably speaks of his sovereignty also. Speaks of his faithfulness. About the promises and the covenants that God must fulfill. God must be faithful too. That he is going to be faithful also, even in spite of the coming judgments that are going to come upon this earth. God takes no pleasure in judgment, but God must, these things must 
come to pass. God must judge sin. God has to. The second thing that John sees is in verse 4. Look at your Bibles. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And the thrones I saw, 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. John sees around, seated around the throne, these 24 smaller thrones, we might say, with 24 elders sitting upon them. Some believe that these 24 elders represents God's people, all of the Old Testament saints and all of the New Testament saints. And they, they see them as, uh, and, and others see them just as New Testament saints only, not Old Testament saints, but just New Testament saints that are there around the throne at the rapture of the church, sitting there in the heavenly scene. Those that hold to the Old Testament and New Testament view, they see the, these 24 as representative of the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament and the 12 apostles in the New Testament, thus making up all of the saints of all time. Others hold to this view that it's the 24 elders is representative of what 1 Chronicles 24 speaks about where David divided the tribe of Levi into 24 courses to represent the whole. And since the church is a kingdom of priests, these 24 elders represent again the church as a whole. What we do know is that we find in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it tells us that John saw these 24 elders singing a song of praise to Jesus and then crying out, for you were slain, who's that? Jesus Christ. For you were slain and have redeemed us to our God, to God, by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. I think that's pretty clear who the 24 elders are. They're the ones that are crying out in worship before the throne. And also in Revelation chapter 19 verse 4 we read about these 24 elders that they are spectators when Babylon falls. We'll get to that. And it tells us that the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they fell down and they worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And if that 24 elders is us, church, I've been telling you, say Amen. Get ready, because you're going to be saying Amen and you're going to be saying Holy, Holy, Holy a lot when we enter in on that day. For eternity. We also read in Revelation 5 9, it tells us that John saw these 24 elders. They were singing a song of praise to Jesus and they were crying out, For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Wow. White robes. Crowns upon their heads. Crowns of gold upon our heads. You see, white robes, I see them, and I believe it's clear in Scripture, white robes are for the redeemed. Those that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The church age saints. In Revelation 6.11 we read about the martyred souls. The martyred souls are those that are going to give their life to Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. 
We call them tribulation saints. And in Revelation 6.11 it says, the martyred souls who are killed during the tribulation will also be given white robes. In Revelation 7.11, John sees a multitude of people who get saved during the tribulation period standing before the, uh, the Lamb, we're told, in white robes. And then in verse 13 and 14, it says, Then one of the elders answered and said to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come? And we've looked at this scripture already. Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus also speaking to the church at Sardis in Revelation 3, 5, he says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. White garments, crowns of gold upon our head. It's the redeemed. It's the church. These crowns of gold given to the saints. Jesus spoke of it in his letter to the church at Smyrna in Revelation 2.10. He says, do not fear any of those things which, are, which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Remember, that was the persecuted church. He, Jesus says to them, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Each one of us are going to get one of those. If you know him as Lord and Savior, you're going to get the crown of life. In Revelation 3.10, to the church at Philadelphia, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He's talking about his days coming to an end. Paul was about to be beheaded. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me in that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Is that you? Will that be you in that day? All those who love his appearing. The third thing that John sees and hears from the throne, from that throne room that he's seeing, it says in verse 5 that from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. He tells us what those are. John saw something. John heard something. He saw and heard lightnings, thunderings, and voices. And I believe that all of this really surrounds who is sitting on the throne and who has the authority, who has the power to execute the judgments that are about to unfold and be unleashed upon this earth. Lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Many of the things that we read, even in the book of Revelation, and this is important for us, and we're going to see this as we go further into the book of Revelation, that many parallels that we find in the book of Revelation line up with things of the Old Testament. We can read something of this in the book of Exodus in chapter 19. Remember when Moses and the children of Israel came out of Egypt. They were freed from their bondage. 
and they came to Mount Sinai. This is what we read that event, what it was like in Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. It says, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. He's speaking about Mount Sinai. And the sound of a trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp were told they trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain and now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly and when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder Moses spoke and God answered my voice Think of the vision that John is seeing here. It seems like it almost parallels what was taking place at Mount Sinai. I think what John was seeing reminded him of that awe. The awe as he read about the Exodus, as he read about what happened there at Mount Sinai. The reverence that was there at that place. The fear that gripped the people's hearts as they stood at the foot of the mountain. The lightnings, the thunderings. It all spoke of that judgment of God. God is holy. And God will execute judgment upon this earth. John also saw seven lamps of fire that were burning before the throne. He tells us that they're the the seven spirits of God. The seven lamps burning. They were being fueled by the Holy Spirit. And that seven, as we've already talked about with the seven letters to the seven churches. Seven lamps burning. Before the throne. Seven speaks of perfection. The number seven. The number seven speaks of completeness. That's why it's seven letters to the seven churches. Seven lamps before the throne. These seven lamps that are burning. Also in context with the the thunderings and and they they speak of coming judgment. All of what we're seeing in chapter 4 is going to lead us into chapter 5. We're going to see the progression of this and where this is going to lead. Next week in Revelation chapter 5 verse 6 we read this. And I looked, John says, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. This is setting the stage for what's going to happen in chapter 5. The next scene that John sees in verse 6 to 9, we read, Before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst, or we might say in the middle of that throne room area of the throne, and around the throne were four living creatures that were full of eyes in front, and in back. Oh, very descriptive what John is seeing here. Again, if we go back to Exodus chapter 24, verse 9, we read, When Moses went up on the mountain of God, we read, Then Moses went up, also Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, 
and 70 of the elders of Israel, they all went up and they saw the God of Israel. And there were under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. This is what they saw up on Mount Sinai. Towards the end of the tribulation period, in Revelation chapter 15, verse 1, this is just before the last of the three sets of judgments is poured out. The last bowl judgments are being poured out, and we read this. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven, the seven last plagues. For in them the wrath of God is complete. I saw something like the sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. These are those that are going to get saved during the tribulation period. Aren't you thankful? Be praying for your family. Be praying for your loved ones. Because if they don't receive Christ before the rapture of the church, they will go into the tribulation period. And our prayers, God, would you save them during this time? God is still going to be extending mercy to this world. There are going to be people that are going to get saved. Many that are going to get saved. John says a multitude of which no man can know. There are going to be many. God, may it be some of the ones we love and we've been praying for for a long time. John sees these four living creatures. that are full of eyes in front and in back. From other references, uh, these appear to be angels. That John has seen. They're not humans, they're, they're angel, angelic beings. In Revelation 5 6, we read, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. These four living creatures, I already read that, but in Revelation 5.14, we read, Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders, after they said Amen, the 24 elders, they fell down and they worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. And then in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, we see all four of these creatures... Announcing the opening of the four seals, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's these four living creatures that announce that. In Revelation 7:11, all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures were there and fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 3. We read that they sang as it were a new song before the throne. Before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. There's another group of people. 144,000 Jews. 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. That are going to be I believe evangelists during the tribulation period. And many will get saved through them. Sealed by God. And here they are also. In heaven. In Revelation 19.4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures. They fell down and they worshiped God. Who sat on the throne saying. Amen and Hallelujah. You'll be saying that too. And then he goes on to describe these four creatures. Look what he says in verse 7. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. 
The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And there are, as a lot of things in the book of Revelation, many different interpretations of what these faces mean. But what's possible is that these four angels are depicting the four aspects of Christ. That we see these four aspects actually brought out in the four Gospels. Like a lion, Matthew depicts Jesus as king. He says the lion of the tribe of Judah. And like a calf, Mark depicts Jesus as a humble servant. And then one of them had the face like a man. In the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, it depicts Jesus in his humanity, the perfect man. And then the fourth face, like a flying eagle. In John, John's Gospel, which depicts Jesus, his deity, God in flesh, the man who came from heaven, the lion, the calf, the man, and the eagle. All of this symbolic of who it is that's on that throne in heaven. Verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings. These are angelic. Full of eyes around and within. And they did not rest day or night. And what did they do? They were saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come day and night. As a matter of fact, some of the older translations, from what I understand, they actually had holy, holy, holy nine times. Three possibly for each part of the Trinity. Just imagine that nine times. Holy, 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 holy. Is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They had six wings and full of eyes around and within. And this is all just, you know, some have have thought of these cherubims that are full of eyes round about that indicate even their great intelligence of what they see. And, you know, there's so much, there is symbolism here in all of this, but it all has a direct relationship to our God. What he sees, what God views, God sees it all. We're told that they did not rest day or night. Angelic beings before the throne in a continual state of praise and worship with thanksgiving before God. We know that Isaiah, he had that vision where the angels, they they called out to one another, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. You see, on that day, when we all are ushered into the presence of the Lord, and we're all standing there before the Lord, we're going to be on our faces. We're going to be worshiping the Lord. We're going to see that we're going to be casting our crowns before him. Praise and worship. We're going to see it in chapter 5. I think there's three different sets of worship that we see in these two chapters. Three sets of worship. If you struggle with singing and worshiping the Lord and lifting your voice and saying, Holy, 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 hallelujah to the Lord now. You're in heaven. You better get used to it because you're going to be singing in heaven. You're going to be worshiping the Lord. You're going to be crying out before the Lord who He is. If these 24 elders represent the church, which I believe they do, and they're falling down before the redeemed, they're falling down before the Lamb, 
They're casting their crowns down before him. And they're saying, holy and worthy are you. To me, that's the picture of the church. It's what we're doing now. It's what we're doing here this morning in a worship time. God, you're worthy. God, you're holy. God, I can't wait until that day that I cast my crown at your feet. You see, every, everyone in this world, as I shared last week, every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess. Believer and non-believers, there will not be one soul that has been birthed into this world that will not kneel before God someday. We're going to be in heaven, prostrate before the Lord in that day. And then we're going to get into chapter 5 next week. The cry is going to be, who is worthy to open the seals, to break the seals and to open the scroll? Who's worthy? That was the cry of the elders. Who's worthy? And then Jesus Christ is the worthy one. We're going to see that these seals that are going to be broken, it's going to be the opening of the tribulation period is going to be as the beginning of these judgments that are going to come down upon this earth. Aren't you glad that he is the only one that is worthy? He's the only one. Aren't you glad? I mean, put one of us in that place. I don't know if we'd do it all right. But he's worthy. He's the one. He will do it just and fair and right. He has all the authority to do what he's about to do. And we are going to rejoice with him. We're going to be there worshiping the Lord. We're going to be in complete agreement with what God is doing. Our eyes are going to be opened in a way that we are not open now to understand and see and understand all the details of these things. But in that day, when we're in his presence, we're going to see very clearly what God is doing, the justice that he is administrating, and the judgments that are coming upon this earth, we're going to see very clearly this is just, it's fair, it's right, and it must come to pass. And so, read ahead, church. Revelation chapter 5. We'll get into that next week, cover that chapter. I'm excited going forward. Read as far as you want. Read ahead in this, in this book. Acquaint yourself with some questions. And hopefully, by the grace of God, I'll answer a few of them as we go through. And so, let's have our worship team come up. To close us in song. Let's uh, prep ourselves for that day. Let's lift our voices before the Lord in sincerity of heart. Let's truly worship our Lord. Let's all stand.